All right, so listen, first things first, I'm preaching barefoot. Um, and I have finger toes. Just wanted you to know that. Now that's the only thing you'll be able to focus on the entire time, right? Um, and I'll tell you why we're doing this. Wednesday night in prayer, we, you need to know this because at the end of, this, at the, end of the message, there's going to be a call, and you're going to need to respond, and I want you to know what you're stepping into. <laughs> it's always good to know what you're stepping into, right? Wednesday night, we prayed just a very prophetic word that this is holy ground right here. And so um, if you're cool with it, I'm just going to go without shoes today. And we're going to be on holy ground. Um, when I was in middle school, something tragic happened in my life. I had an orthodontist appointment. That wasn't the tragic part. The tragic part was um, I got out of school. Now, you got to know, when I was in middle school, I had, I had zero self-confidence, y'all. I mean, zero. It did not take much for me to freak out and get embarrassed and all that stuff. So um, I, was, I was an introverted introvert, if that's possible. And um, it took all I had to, like, tell the teacher that I had a note to get out and my dad was going to pick me up. And it was a whole big deal. Like, some of y'all are like, just get out of class. But for me, that was like, if I, had, if I stood up in class, it meant everybody saw me stand up in class. It was a whole big deal. So it was time I'm watching the clock, and I knew when it was time to go. And the teacher said, Paul, it's time for you to go. And so I stood up. I felt the eyes. I was so glad to get out of that classroom, y'all. And I went to the middle school front door, I walked out, and I stood on the steps, and I waited for my dad. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and he never came. I stood on the steps of the middle school thinking, as hard as it was to stand up in class to leave, I have to go back to class like my dad forgot me. I thought it was tragic, and then I became a parent. Now I know. Like, it's not like they don't love you. It's just that they just forget you sometimes. It just happens, right? This morning we're going to be in John chapter 11, um, and, and we're going to read a lot of it. We're going to deal with our last filter. Um, we've talked about a lot of filters to this point, and this is... Um, this is not really one that I thought we'd be talking about on Easter Sunday, but God just made it abundantly clear that the last filter that we need to talk about is the filter of disappointment. So in John chapter 11, um, it's a long chapter. We won't read all of it, but we're just going to kind of walk through uh, disappointment. So while you're finding it on your phone or in your paper Bible, let me just give you a quick definition of, of disappointment. This is what the dictionary says, so it has to be true, right? Right. Um, disappointment is defined as sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. That's a lot of big words, y'all. Can we just make a real simple definition for today that disappointment is when things don't work out the way you thought they would? How many of you can relate to that face right there? Some of y'all are like, every Christmas morning, Right? <laughs> That's, that's disappointment. I think it's safe to say this, that if you're here today and you're breathing, I hope you're doing both of those. We have come through a year. Well, actually, we're in bonus coverage now, aren't we? <laughs> 2020 extended. Holy cow. But we have come through a year where everybody has felt disappointment. I mean, can we at least say that? Can we at least start in that place? Can we all have that one thing in common that 2020 didn't meet our expectations? Right? 
I mean, I should, that should have been the loudest amen you'll ever give. That, did, what, that wasn't even about Jesus, y'all. Just 2020 was, was not a year that fulfilled our expectations. And here we are three months and a few days into 2021 and still not meeting expectations, right? All of us can relate to disappointment. And so this morning, I want you to see that the Bible speaks to that filter. And it speaks to that filter in the deepest type of disappointment. In John chapter 11, we're going to meet somebody who was disappointed with God. Now, we're disappointed with political officials and with our families and with maybe our mechanic who didn't quite fix the car the way they said. Like, there's all kinds of people we can be disappointed with. But disappointment with God is something that nobody ever wants to talk about. Except, guess who? God. And I love that. I love that right in the middle of John chapter 11, we find a God who's not afraid to talk about disappointment. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 17, um, but I want to kind of give you the, the thumbnail sketch of what's going on. So basically, before we get to verse 17, Jesus has a really close friend. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus got sick, and they got word to Jesus and this is how the Bible says it. Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. So when Jesus got that word, he decided that was a good time to hang out where he was a couple more days. And while Jesus was hanging out there, his good friend died. You with me so far? Now, if you've ever been disappointed by God, the one thing that you don't have in common with Martha and Mary is that when you were disappointed with God, you didn't get to see God. I mean, I know that he's everywhere, right? Like, I know that we see God in the tree. I mean, we see if the effects of, of things he does. But, like, they were disappointed with God, and then God showed up. You with me? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. And so we're going to pick it up there. I want you to see how, how Jesus deals with their disappointment. Now, before we do it, we're going to read our prayer. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. We've done this every Sunday before we start talking about the filters. And the reason we're doing this is because I know you, right? And you know me. And we have a tendency to listen to a sermon, to a teaching from the Bible with the people next to us in mind. Don't we? Well, I'm so glad that you came with me today because you really need what Paul's selling right now. No, you need it. And I need it. Right? So we're praying this prayer, okay? It'll be up on the screens. Can we go ahead and throw it up there? And then here we go. Read it together out loud. If, you're, if this is your first time with us, you're like, are we really going to do this? Yes. It's not a joke. I'm going to count to three, and then we're all going to say investigate and go from there. It's not a joke. You won't be the only one saying it. I promise you. You ready? One, two, three. Investigate my life, oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself. Yes, yeah, so God, that's our prayer. Here on this last Sunday of this series, on the Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, we want to come to you authentically. We want to bring our real selves to you. And we want to hear what you have to say. Because all of us, God, are living in a, in a country, in a time 
under a cloud of disappointment, and you have called the church to carry a different message. And so this morning, God, we just open ourselves up to your message in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so here we go. Um, I had a, a wise man. He once told me this. He said, if, you're, if you want kids to grow up to be successful, kids need to know how to handle two things. Snakes. No, I'm kidding. That wasn't the first one. They need to know how to handle no and disappointment. Parents, can I get an amen? That dude was right. It wasn't me. He was smart. He understood, like, people need to know how to handle no and disappointment. And so we have a great father. So the first thing I want you to see, and this is going to be hard, is that God as a good father understands our need to know how to process disappointment. He wants you to be a great kid. And so in a way that's going to maybe jack up some of your theology, um, we'll just jump right in. Is that cool? First point, here's what you're going to see. God allows disappointment. Can we just let that settle for a second? He allows disappointment. We see in John chapter 17, um, chapter 11, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He'd already been there for four days. So Jesus stayed where he was for two days, made sure that Lazarus died before he showed up, and he'd already been in the tomb for four days. Like, everybody say God was late. Listen, I don't know if you're strong enough to actually say these words out loud, but we are disappointed with the timing of God all the time. We just don't ever say it. All of us believe that God, like, I loved worship this morning. Oh, my goodness, it was so good. And we're singing, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't even have a voice. We're singing our, our hearts out about the reckless love of God. And I would tell you this, everybody in this room believes it. We don't struggle with the promise. We struggle with the timing of the delivery of the promise. And she did too. She said in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What I love about this story is that the Bible doesn't blow off disappointment. Like if you were a real Christian, Martha, you wouldn't be disappointed in me right now. What is wrong with you? The Bible addresses disappointment. The Bible says, that, hey, yeah, God allowed it. And Jesus, he walked up knowing, yeah, if I'd have been here, maybe he wouldn't have died. But, like, I wasn't here. And so Martha was able to say, where were you? Is it three things that will always disappoint you. The delays of God, the distance of God, and the decisions of God. You know why those disappoint us? We're not God. He was only two miles away. He was close enough that a ton of people from the city where he was went to mourn with them, and he didn't go. Can we just say out loud, y'all, that in 2020, a lot of us were disappointed with God? Can we be honest enough to say that? And if you're here today, I want you to know this. If you've been disappointed, you're in great company because every one of us feel it. Guess who else feels disappointment? God. That's the next thing that we see. Like, he, he allows disappointment, but he also understands it. Uh, verses 33. Let's just pick it up there. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping. So Mary and Martha are weeping. And that word for weeping is like deep, deep emotional pain. And it says that when he saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping. That's a lot of weeping. 
He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I want you to know this. When he saw them mourning, he was moved. It's one thing to serve a God who allows disappointment and then isn't moved when we feel it. But it's a whole other thing to serve a God who allows it and then understands it. As a matter of fact, the, the Greek word when it says that Jesus was deeply moved, it means, um, this is so fantastic, we're not going to act it out. It means to snort with anger. Whatever that looks like, you know, whatever it looks like to snort with anger. It just means that he felt an overwhelming, ugh, about the thing that was causing him to cry and weep. He saw all of the mourning, all of the weeping, all of the disappointment, and something in Jesus was like, ugh. And he didn't just get upset about it. It says that he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, y'all. Kids, memorize a verse today. Your parents will give you candy. Luke eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You can do it. Memorize that verse. Exactly. He understands our disappointment. But here's what's even better than that. He allows disappointment. He understands disappointment. And what I want you to see is that he doesn't just feel it with us. Listen, y'all, we have more than enough people in our lives that will come alongside us and cry with us. Right? I mean, that's good. Empathy's good. But sometimes what happens is we all get down into the pit together and we start a community group there. So is that too real? And then we wonder why we're never encouraged. Because ain't nobody got nothing to encourage you with. We're all in the pit. It's so good to have you here with me. But can you help me get out? Well, I was hoping you could help me get out. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, let's get a new member to the group, and maybe they'll help us get out. Y'all come on down here help us get out. What I want you to see is that, like, he doesn't just feel it. He does something about it. He removes disappointment. What have we said from the beginning with filters? We want to recognize them, we want to remove them, and we want to replace them, right? So we recognize disappointment. I mean, do you see disappointment in your life? Do you feel the cloud of disappointment that hangs over you sometimes? I want you to recognize that. And what, what I love here is that God removes disappointment, and he replaces that disappointment with hope. Listen to these two statements. See if they don't ring true with you. Disappointment causes us to live closed lives because we expect to lose again. Hope causes us to live open lives because we expect to receive again. And so what we see in our lives is when we start to get disappointment in our lives, if we allow that filter to become permanent, we will pull in and risk nothing because I don't want to get disappointed again. And when we do that, we pull away from the people that could speak hope into our lives. Do you, do you know why our, our country has struggled so much? Do you have conversations with people right now that say things like, I just need to be around people? And, and you knew them before the pandemic, and they were not people people. people. Is, that, is that a good way to say it? Like, they were like, I just built an island, and I never need anybody. And now here we are, fast forward 14 months, and everybody needs everybody. Right? Because we've all pulled away in disappointment. We've closed ourselves off, not because we're jerks, but because we don't want to get hurt again. 
And Jesus steps into that place. And I, I want us to spend the rest of the morning on the, the last part of this chapter. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, Jesus stares disappointment in the face. And he challenges disappointment with three words. Move that stone. Now, I want us to camp out there for a second. Things I've thought about this week that I don't even know how to fit into a sermon, so I'll just say them. We celebrate today arguably the greatest event in history. Would you agree? The resurrection of Jesus, 100%, the greatest event in history. Totally changed everything. Nobody saw it. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how you are, but if I was going to pull off the greatest day of my life, I would make sure I had an audience. As a matter of fact, there are people who have made a living out of talking about their best days. They still get audiences together to talk about that best day. It just This week it just dawned on me like the greatest event in history, nobody saw it. We're not witnesses to the resurrection. We're witnesses about it. That's our job. So when I get to this story, and here's why that's important, Jesus said to a bunch of people who were weeping and mourning in disappointment, he said to Martha and to Mary who were obviously moved because their brother just died, they're full of disappointment. And who disappointed them again? Jesus. Okay, can we say that one more time out loud, maybe louder? Don't feel like he's going to strike you with lightning. Who disappointed them again? Jesus, God, right? And the same man who did not show up on time, who did not act the way they thought he should, who stayed at a distance when they needed him to be near, that same man told them to move the stone. But he didn't need them to move the stone. Are you with me? I'm, I'm make sure, I want to make sure you get this because I am going somewhere, y'all. I hope you come with me. I'm barefoot. Don't let me down. He didn't need them to move the stone. Because when he rose, they didn't show up to move the stone. There's something about God saying to those of us who have the filter of disappointment, I want you to partner with me in removing that stone. He said to the people that were most disappointed, I want you to take a risk, and I want you to move that stone, and I want you to position your greatest disappointment for my greatest power. Okay, you're still not quite getting it. But it, Chase got it. I can tell. He's getting it. But it's coming, right? Check this out. When he said, move the stone, she said, but... I mean, y'all, is this not our testimony? When, when we have a need and God tells us what to do and we go, but God, 
I mean, it's going to stink. Like you don't know how bad what's on the other side of that rock smells. You don't know how bad that part of my life smells. I don't think you want to see nor smell what I've got hiding behind that rock. You, you know you can relate to this because you already feel it right now. I'm talking to you from Scripture, and you're already thinking about the things that you're disappointed with. You're already thinking about your, that thing that you didn't share even when you told everybody you shared everything. That's the thing that you still have hidden behind a stone of disappointment. And right now, because you, you know, because I, I warned you, I was like, I got my, my shoes off, and this is holy ground, and there's going to be a call to action at the end. You already know that you're going to end up here. And you're already right now in your head going, but God, if they really knew how much this thing's going to stink, he said, move the stone. Move that stone. Whatever stone is keeping you in the grave, he says, move it. Expose it to the power of God. We're, we're like Martha. I love, Lord, by this time there will be a stink. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so even back earlier, he had asked her, I'm the resurrection and the life. And your brother will live again. And you know what she said to him? You're right. This is like, this is like Jesus is the preacher and, y'all, and, he, and Martha was the, the people that just nod their heads like this. That's it. You, that's it, Jesus. Man, that's so good. You're preaching so good right now. You are, you are going to, yes, he's going to live. He's going to live. I know in that day he will rise again. And Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, that day. I didn't say I will be the resurrection. I said I am the resurrection. Why are you talking about future stuff? I'm talking about right now. I just preached the lights out, y'all. Come on. Or somebody thinks I should stop. (laughs) We'll go with the first interpretation. I am the resurrection, not I will be. He brings life to our current disappointments. Now, I'm going to try to land this thing. It's going to be a little tough, but we'll give it a shot. Some things that went through my mind as I was preparing this message. One of the reasons that we're disappointed is because we don't see the power of God moving in our life right now. We pray and we pray and we pray, but we're always praying like this. Oh, God, I know you can. I hope you do. Please someday. And I I really believe that the Lord is on this, that he wants to say to you, I am today, now, the resurrection. And so in that moment when we pray and we don't see God move, something inside of us dies. We still go to church. We still lift our hands in worship. We still do all the things, but we ain't got nothing on the inside. We have no hope on the inside. We are disappointed, and disappointment leads us to death. And then we roll that stone over the grave, and we leave it there because it stinks on the inside. There's a verse in the Bible that says they have the appearance of, of godliness, and no power. They appear to do all the right things, but their disappointment has overridden their power. 
And so we stop praying as hard as we used to. We stop believing that he can right now in this moment do something in my life. And then we start to feel bad for feeling that. Are you with me? And so in that moment, we start to feel all this shame, all this regret, all this disappointment. We feel it. It just weighs us down, and we just feel like we're hidden behind that stone. And I want you to hear Romans 8.1. Paul said, there is therefore what? Now. Now. No condemnation for those that are in Christ. He didn't say, if you just keep doing all those right things, Someday there will be no condemnation. Now. I am the resurrection. Not I will be someday if you do the things I said to do. He said I am the resurrection. And he's bringing life and hope to your current disappointment. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, that means Why? This is why. Here's why we were buried in death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Present tense. Live now. John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's about now. The point here is, I'm begging you. To not do for another week what you may have done for every Sunday before now. Which is come in here carrying that stone of disappointment. Go through the motions of a service. And I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm saying we just typically like kind of numb ourselves up. I'm singing about this awesome power of God, but I really know it won't work. But I'm good. I'm here. At least I'm here. I'm not like those people that didn't come to church today. I mean, maybe you're just like that, but not in the same place. Because I think what Jesus is saying to you and to me today is the same thing he said to Martha. Do you believe this? And what would you say to Jesus? Same thing she said. Yes, Lord, I believe. I do. I really believe. I believe that someday my brother will live. And here's, here's what I think he wants us to be challenged with. Like Martha... We see the resurrection as a future possibility instead of a present reality. So today, we're celebrating past resurrection at Easter, right? Jesus rose from the dead, and we're also hoping for future resurrection. But resurrection is a present reality. If we really believe this, guess what? You wouldn't be so full of angst over your job situation. Because that might be what's inside the grave, but he can blow the doors off of that. He's just asking you to move the stone to get ready for him to throw some resurrection power there. You wouldn't be so jacked up over relationships. Because you know that he can speak life into those places. So whatever we're hiding this morning, and yes, I told Wendy, just so you know where I'm headed, I want you to have all the expectations up front. I told her that I'm I'm an ex-youth pastor, so this is how my mind works. This is one of those messages where I think that you should start emptying your pockets pockets and throwing stuff on here like i've been a part of youth services where people threw cigarettes condoms i know i shouldn't said that word because now you have to have a conversation at lunch sorry um all the stuff that we hide 
I'd, I'd watch teenagers just like throw it on the altar. Because there's something about moving the stone and revealing what we've tried to hide to the Lord that is the resurrection that positions us for him to speak life into that situation. We're going to end this morning. Let me explain how we're going to end it, and then we're going to do it. You have a communion cup, a combo cup. (laughs) Yay for the combo cup, right? You have a combo cup, but you also received a stone when you came in this morning, I think, I hope. This might be the part where I say, if you don't have a stone, raise your hand, and then we get stoned together. (laughs) It was right there. I'm going to pay for that one later. I know. Just couldn't stop. Does anybody need a stone? You good? Okay. So what's going to happen is we're going we're gonna to close this morning with a video. It's a short three-minute video. It's a testimony um, that just is a really good testimony of how we can move from disappointment to hope. And then when, that's, when that video is over, we're going to play through the speakers. We're going to play a worship song called New Wine. And you're going to receive communion during that song. But I want you, I want you... We'll see how this works out. <laughs> You're our test case for the 11 o'clock service. We'll see how this works out. And what I'd like to see happen is I'd like for you to, to name that stone that you're holding on to. What is your stone of disappointment? And then when you receive communion, I, I want you just to come and put that stone right here. Just lay it down. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to know when you put that stone down, I want you to know what that stone represents because you're laying down the filter of disappointment. We're removing it today, and we're replacing it with hope. Let me tell you the last point, and then we'll roll that video. Hope doesn't provide answers. Okay. I felt like that was such a strong point. But I'm talking to intellectual Americans. So let me say it one more time. Some of you are disappointed because you're still hoping for answers. Did Lazarus get raised from the dead in this story? That's an easy answer. Yes or no? Yes, y'all. He got raised from the dead. Did Jesus ever explain why he hung out for two more days till he died? No. You're looking for the wrong things, y'all. You're looking for me to be the perfect pastor through a pandemic. Y'all, I'm going to disappoint you. I already have. I was kind of counting on y'all to be the perfect church. You failed. But we weren't perfect before that. You've been mad at family members because they were human. You've forgotten what it was like to be that age. You're mad at coworkers because they're not as good as you. See what I'm saying? Like you're looking for the wrong things. What you need to be looking for is life. You need to be looking for God to show up in your circumstance and bring his power and his presence into your circumstance. And it will not give you the answers you're looking for because he didn't ever address Mary and Martha's concerns. He just showed up and said, I am. Is that enough for you? And they were like, "Uh, I think we should move that stone now. So when you lay that stone here, what you're saying to him is, I'm letting go of my need to understand you, God. I don't need to understand stuff. I just need to position myself in a place where your resurrection power can speak into my darkest secrets, my deepest, stinkiest places, and resurrect what's in there. And he'll do it. 
He'll do it. Let's watch that video, and then I'll just go right into that song. When the song New Wine begins to play, God bless the cup, and he blessed the bread, and you just begin to receive communion, and then you just move up here, and you just have time with the Lord. There was just a lot of things that I was going through at that point where I just, I didn't believe there was any hope left. I was 19. I ended up dating a guy that I wasn't supposed to be dating. God told me not to date him, but I did anyways. And I got pretty horribly abused for about three years. My parents just went through a divorce and I stopped talking to my dad because he didn't want to talk to me if I wasn't friends with his new wife. And she was best friends with the guy who was abusing me. I was self-medicating and making it more about covering up my pain rather than doing what God wanted. That was me for a long time until I finally got to the point of wanting to kill myself. I just thought it was time for me to go and that nobody really cared about me. And that's when, um, that's when I jumped out of the car. The first two weeks I was there, they're like, she's not living past four weeks, there's no way. My dad was preparing cremation, but my mom was on the other side where she was like, no, that's not happening. God's gonna save her. God gave me a song right before I tried to kill myself, and it was new wine, and it was the in the pressing, in the crushing, you are making new wine, and the soil I surrender, you are breaking new ground. And God told me that, and I told my mom before I was going through that. My mom believed I was gonna come out of this and be okay, and that God had a plan for me. And they said, well, she's not going to be able to remember anything. She's not going to be able to walk. But God just started my life over. My mom ended up with so many people praying for me, and God healed me. The first day I was conscious, I walked over to the piano and started playing piano and singing to the Lord. Mom was sitting there with the doctors, just like <laughs> flabbergasted. I feel so much more loved than I've ever felt by God. Like, I've always felt like God was this controlling person, but it's like He's only controlling with the things that are not good for you. We forget that it's more about what God wants than what I want, what somebody else wants. It's not about fame or popularity or any of those things, it's all about what the Lord wants. He changed my entire life. So much easier, you know, with the Lord than it is without the Lord. It doesn't even matter what you do or who you are or who you seem to be. God has a bigger idea for your life than the mess that you've made. I think a lot of kids grow up in an area where they feel like they've dug a hole that's too deep for them to get out and they don't realize that God can get them out of that hole faster than anybody else can.